What's up, Cyclone Nation? Uh, new edition of the Cyclone Fanatic podcast here. Today, of course, we are from the uh, Big 12 Football Media Days in Dallas at AT&T Stadium, a.k.a. Jerry World. Been an um, eventful morning. Of course, Iowa State doesn't necessarily go until tomorrow, but still a lot going on. And we've had the opportunity to be down here thanks to our friends at the Iowa Clinic and the Iowa Clinic Men's Center, who I think they've sponsored our Big 12 Football Media Day coverage for something like four years in a row now. It's been fantastic. We appreciate that partnership. A partnership I appreciate even more every day. I actually have a, I don't know if you guys know this, second child due to be born in just a couple of weeks and it's been a just a really um bit of a tumultuous summer for for my family lost a couple of uncles at pretty young ages and you kind of kind of a deal where you look in the mirror and you realize how much you need to take care of yourself and get that annual physical and checkup i get mine right before football season every year every august so i'll be headed into the iowa clinic men's center with dr nicholson and ankeny here in probably three or four weeks to get that annual physical and i encourage you all to do so as well i also want to give a shout out to carl chevrolet who's a sponsor of the cyclone fanatic podcast network they've got great deals going on financing right now silverados equinox colorados traverse and the all-new blazer that's two thousand dollars off it's only 15 available with more arriving daily. So check that out at Carl Chevrolet, Carl Chevrolet Stewart. And I also want to encourage everybody to uh, use the promo code Cyclones if you're going to the Guthrie River Ruckus here in a couple weeks in Guthrie Center, Chris Cagle, Diamond Rio, and a host of others. We are partnering with them. It'll be cool. You'll see the Cyclone Fanatic logo on the stage up there at one of Iowa's great country music festivals. Earlier today, I had the opportunity to sit down with Jay Jordan, our Cyclone Fanatic football analyst. He's down here with me in Dallas. And we, for about a half hour, discussed Bob Bowlesby's comments today, the Big 12's commissioner, a lot of legal business type stuff there. If you like the business of college athletics, you'll enjoy that. And also... Uh, we get into the different coaches that went today and what we think about those football teams. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's Jay Jordan and I from earlier today. Here's our conversation. But I think you and I both got a little bit immersed in what Bob Bullsby, the, the Big 12 commissioner, had to say. I know I did. I've already written about 1,300 words on it, and I'll have that up on the site here in just a little bit. But for our video and podcast audience that doesn't want to read that, uh, first of all, the conference commissioner, he joked that this is the seventh year in a row that realignment has been a topic, but he also made the point that the Big 12 has not been in any expansion talks. You and I could go down a total rabbit hole on this because you're a lawyer and I love media rights and that type right. of thing, but what I did find interesting was Bullsby his one statement about if anybody knows where this is all going to be five years from now, you're delusional, right. talking about technology and whatnot. And that that's very telling to me because in five years, this whole thing could be blown up as we know it. And I, there's got to be conversations going on behind closed doors. They're not just going to wait for two years to potentially be picked apart again. 
No, and what I heard him saying and outlining, um, which this was by far the most fascinating part of the first part of this today, in my my opinion. But what I heard him saying is basically the Big 12 uh, is retrenching itself or creating a moat or a wall around the Big 12 by utilizing those third-tier rights, packaging them, putting them with a major provider, which will create asset value to the brand and uh, to that financial stream. The other thing he also mentioned uh, right off the bat was that that they distribute 93% of the income that the conference brings in to their members, which is the highest among uh, Power 5 conferences. So so they're running pretty lean and mean with the 7% budget. Um, He said most of that's going to legal fees, which is going to be growing probably really interesting and yes likely a growing um, concern for all major colleges so uh, but but yeah the way they're positioning themselves they're trying to be on the front edge of the third tier rights what I feel like they were and tell me if I'm wrong if you got this feeling didn't it feel like they were he was trying to outline that, that we are going to get established at the cutting edge of that market and then let it come to us when that everything turns over. They yeah. already got something in place as opposed to scrambling for a new deal. Uh, yeah, a couple of things. One, I think that the Big 12, as much criticism as it has gotten, Rightfully so. Yeah, for sure. Over the years of be- not being proactive. Yeah. And this is back in the Dan Beebe, Chuck Ninus years. Um, I think that when they decided to stay at 10, they were being proactive. You used the word lean, and I think that that's what they were thinking. They wanted to stay as lean as possible because from what I understand, and, and I've we've, we've heard Jamie Pollard on our podcast talked about this with me before, is it's a lot easier to be to maneuver in a digital world with 10 than it is 14. And right. I just think that in 2024, these decisions and whatever, like I'm, I don't necessarily think that, I think Iowa State, you never say never, but I don't think Iowa State's going to be in the scenario where it could get zapped like it was in 2010. Um, because I think it's going to be more on merit Right. More on your fan base. More on. Uh, there's more Iowa State fans that would subscribe to an ESPN Plus than Rutgers fans. It's not about where you're at on a map anymore. And I think That's that. A good point. I think that the proactive deal is like that on a macro level. On I think on a micro level, look at what Cyclones.tv does. They do a fine job of women's basketball and wrestling and all that stuff. Right. But in an ever increasing digital world. They don't have the resources to do it with the right technology. And you partner with ESPN, which is owned by Disney, one of the most valuable companies in the world. Right. And all of a sudden, you're at the cutting edge of, of technology. So to me, while this didn't make a lot of sense for the league to do in, say, 2014, I think a lot has changed in five years. And I completely understand what he's talking about now. I do, too. Um I like the strategy. I wondered what the strategy was going to be. So so here's the rabbit hole. What if the future of this is, or of college football and the upcoming media rights expiration is not the super conference, but the retraction and expansion of smaller, more regionally marketable uh, 
entities that play more to the subsets of the digital market. What if it's that? What if the Big Ten goes back to 10? I think that makes the most sense. What if, yeah, I've eight. seen a lot of scenarios where you take 80 schools, just as an example, yeah. and then you, like you say, you chalk them up all geographically. Yeah. So then, you know, Bullsby talked a little bit about dropping attendance across the country. Makes it easier for visitors. That's, that's one of the reasons why we talk about great television. Yeah. Well, like, think of, like when you're an Iowa State fan, you used to be able to drive to Missouri. You used to be able to drive to Nebraska. Like those are go- you could drive to Colorado if you wanted yeah. to. The two Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa. Uh, you could drive to most games. Yeah, but you, you were can't there. now. No, no, y'all aren't driving down here, right? You're flying. Yeah. Nobody's going to West Virginia. Um, I won't even drive over to Lubbock. How far of a drive is it to Lubbock? You live here in Dallas. I live about an hour and a half east of Dallas. It's nine, nine and a half hours over to Lubbock. Jeez, that's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. You can drive to Iowa in that amount of time. I can drive all the way across Iowa and back. (laughs) Anyways, I thought that was interesting. It wasn't really newsy, but I think that it's an ongoing conversation that we all need to be paying attention to. Um, it's It's been pretty calm waters in the realignment world for the last few years, which has been refreshing. But I think everyone down here who's keeping an eye on all this has not even an uneasy feeling, but you know change is coming in some capacity. We we both feel that that UConn news was bigger than what, what it's been let on. And it almost feels like there's a cap. Let's just cut it here. I'm anxious to see what happens with UConn because I think if they abolish that program or even drop to FCS, I th- what what's the point in um, like New Mexico State playing FBS football right now? What's the point in some of these lower tier? Some I I read a piece in the Athletic the other day about these schools that are drawing like eight thousand people a game. What's the point? You could. You could abolish those things and put that money into your Olympic sports and be, you know, like they're not making a ton. It's such a, the growth between the haves and the have-nots increases every year. What's the point? And I I think a lot of schools are keeping an eye on UConn. I I think you're right. And, and, you know, that that could have each of those drop down and bolster the lower divisions, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with. I don't think it'll retract or diminish opportunities to play college football at those schools. They're just going to do it at a different level. So to the extent you're talking about that, you're talking about realignment where we don't have super conferences, but we have a super set of the divisions. We create essentially a super division, super division one uh, with a, a second level. Which really goes back to one one double A. Yeah, like we had it right in the beginning. So uh, we're not going to solve all those problems. Bowlesby was very interesting because he was very outright. He had a message to deliver with regard to the third tier, tier rights. Uh, he had a message to deliver uh, with regard to defense in our league uh, on the football side and about our revenue growth. And then there was quite a bit of deflection on just about anything else. You had a so. chance to get Bullsby on the side yeah. afterwards. Jay got all lawyered up. Um, well, I got to be what, a reporter. Yeah, what did you, what did you ask him? And I know, <laughs> I know that he didn't want to talk about it, but what did you ask? Because it was a really good question. Okay, so just to go absolute nerd on everybody he mentioned in his uh, time at the at the podium he mentioned 
that they spend a lot on legal expenses because there are a number of states who have student-athlete bill of rights. Uh, we know about California uh, passing the statute with regard to um, the marketability and rights to be compensated for use of your likeness, uh, which only makes sense. He even said that there may be a federal initiative in Congress regarding a student-athlete bill of rights. Uh, he mentioned a forum topic of whether or not they should uh, look at antitrust exemption. Uh, all of those things. Oh, and then he mentioned uh, building concussion lawsuits. Each of those things has to do with student-athlete welfare and benefits. Um, it's not necessarily a pay-to-play argument. There's more to it than that. There are different streams of revenue, just like there are in media. Right? Cyclone Fanatic has multiple streams of revenue, and um, you know, if you're a YouTube guy or something like that, or a musician, that's the way it is. Athletes have the same opportunity, from merchandise to use of your likeness to to pay for play. So it doesn't necessarily mean that. But what I asked. Bobby Bowlesby directly is is that given each of those things and you thought enough of it to mention each of those things, there is a rising tide uh, in favor of greater student-athlete benefit and welfare um, provisions, protections. In the face of that, is there an opportunity for the Big 12 to get on the cutting edge as a competitive advantage versus other leagues of that by making certain reforms ahead of legislation forcing you to, or are you going to sit back behind the NCAA uh, and your lawyers and, and just defend? Which is what it feels like. And that's pretty much what he said after he started talking about coaching salaries, which was completely off topic. So he was ducking it. He was uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But but it's an uncomfortable topic, especially to someone. The other other thing that played into that was his uh, seeming disdain for the transfer portal and what's happening in the transfer world. Which he's been very vocal about that for about a month now, and it Wanting continued to roll on today. That back, yes, yes. So I think that plays into some of it: status quo versus a changing landscape that that not only moves into different types of media, but a different type of delivery of product for each of these universities with relation to how they treat their student-athletes. I just feel like it's a... I think you said it well. It's it's uncomfortable. I mean, we had, Ross Peterson and I had the conversations on our radio show all the time, and it's... It's a little bit like our world's or our country's political landscape right now. It's like polarizing. it's very polarizing. There's sides, and not a lot of people want to like meet in the middle and um, and and talk about it. And we, I, I sense that today. Yeah, and when we get there, lawyers decide what happens. Lawyers and judges, because we can't agree, so we get somebody to fight, advocate, and try to move us to a middle juncture. And and that may be where we're headed. It may not, but it, but it's certainly pretty interesting that we sit here today and one of the first thing he mentions is that the expenses that are lean are mostly put into legal expenses which are just growing yeah he said didn't he say that uh, I guess we got it in front of us here but he said something about the um, concussion lawsuits being added to uh, every week yeah that they've got some adding plaintiffs every week adding I think plaintiffs to those and those are just going to keep going you can argue and debate what the implications of that will be, ultimately. Uh, some think it will change the landscape of football, uh, how it's played. Some think it will go away. 
but regardless, those are debilitating injuries that require a ton of money. All right, that's the legal mumbo-jumbo. Let's talk a little football from down here at the Big 12 Media Days. Did we hear anything about football? Well, I mean, (laughs) so we start with Les Miles, who... Yeah, he said said something about football. Guys, I don't even... If you're watching on Facebook or listening on the podcast network, the opening statement Les Miles gave about Puka Williams and that, again, not football, it's an off-the-field major problem for Kansas and really a kind of a gross situation. I, I think Les Miles, in his mind, was trying to get ahead of this story, and he just made it worse. I... I don't even really know how to analyze it other than saying I'm encouraging you all to go and watch the video yourself, and I guess you can make the judgment. But, Jay, Bless Miles' time on the stand today is supposed to be like a – it's supposed to be this, like, new look for Kansas football. We're moving forward, and the losing's behind us. Got a national championship coach. It was one of the most awkward 15 minutes that I've ever seen in one of these deals, which is saying a lot <laughs> – I've sat through a lot of Mike Leach press conferences here. Yeah. I, I I don't know what Kansas was thinking, or if I don't even know if, the, if Kansas could make a, the, the decision to send him up there like that, but it was really bad. It felt like he was unprepared, completely unprepared, um, unfamiliar with this team or even the situation, other than to say, here are your bullet points, go take care of this, uh, which he didn't do. No, he <laughs> made it worse. No, this, I mean, it was literally, that much silence. Yeah. He, between he, Like five seconds between words at While some he point. read and pulled papers up, and it was just very curious. So it was either a masterfully done misdirection and deflection, or <laughs> it... <laughs> I hope that's what it was. That's optimistic. So, or it's it's an indication that that he's not engaged at the level you need to be if you're going to take a program at the level of Kansas and move it around. Then what he did say about football was disturbing. So, well, the yeah, like I'm I'm getting the sense that Kansas is going to do a lot of like two tight ends and fullbacks and like basically the reason he got fired at LSU because he wouldn't evolve offensively. No, and and he spent a lot of time talking about, you know, I'm going to play a system that fits my players, which he never has done before, so he'll be a leopard changing his spots. And he's 65. And he's 65. More importantly, defensively, he said said, we're going to switch to a 3-4 from a 4-3, which... They played a 3-3 stack last year, not 4-3. Which is problematic, if he he didn't know. And and then there was another question from the guy about the offense. He says, I don't know what the stats are from last year. I don't know how how they're productive, but we're going to try to score. But the movement to a 3-4 is – that's not easily accomplished because – a 3-4 requires a specific type of hybrid edge athlete to run effectively, and I'm not sure Kansas has that. Now, the one thing he did say is we're going to blitz. That's so, great. Yeah. And they've got a decent secretary, secondary. 
so they're going to blitz and rely on their secondary to cover behind it and challenge you to get there, which means they'll get beat 65-10 to 10 most games, but they'll catch somebody. So we just don't want to be that somebody. <laughs> Valid. Um, I, I thought of all the football conversations, I thought Mike Gundy put on a pretty good show today and in the sense that he really put last season on his shoulders, talked about it, it really profound stuff. He was comparing it to like being a dad and like letting yeah. things slip with your third child and then they end up screwing up later in life and like it I thought he had a pretty refreshing press conference today and I, he seems energized. I think that their defense gets better under year two of their defensive coordinator. He talked about taking too many risks, being too aggressive defensively last year. The most profound thing I thought he said, I actually wrote it down. Um, And I think this sums up Big 12 football pretty well when he goes, he's talking about opposing offensive coordinators in this league, quote, not only trying to score, but score every play. And discussed how sometimes as a new defensive coordinator in this league, that's a difficult thing to grasp. It is. It's a challenge that the Big 12 presents. Uh, It's also an interesting, just philosophically from the the standpoint of an offensive coordinator, I I like to call it playing beyond the chains and playing behind the chains. So we, you know, to put it in Iowa State terms, uh, our staff last year played behind the chains on almost every play. But every once in a while, they'd open it up and go for the jugular. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, uh, even Texas to some extent uh, are are playing wide open, Baylor, uh, and literally trying to score every play. That's the point of those type of offenses is we're going to create enough pressure on you vertically to uh, put you on your heels and move you in a position that we can score and that's that's fine and we're going to do it every play we're going to be explosive it's a mindset and that is difficult defensively to rotate to because you've got to try to stop stuff deep it's the brilliance of Iowa State's defensive plan Iowa State's defensive plan is predicated on stopping the big play. So now when you're stopped the big play, they've got to grind and they can't try to score on every play, and it's difficult for them to do. That's the perfect example of what Gundy was saying and why that defense works the way it works. Gary Patterson went today. Um, Matt Wells, the new coach at Texas Tech and and Lincoln Riley. I I don't know. I – I've thought this, and I, my preseason poll indicated it as well, but I did, I feel like Oklahoma State and TCU are both better than what most people think, and I would probably well, – I'll leave it there. I, I, I have some more research I'd like to do on Baylor before I really have an opinion on them this year, but I, I do think both Gundy and Patterson – to some extent, have bounce back seasons. What do you What do you think? Major question on both of those is, and Patterson did nothing to help us today. He said he's got six quarterbacks. He's happy with all of them. Happy with the work they've done, and we'll go into the season with six quarterbacks, including the freshman Duggan from Iowa, including Duggan that yes, our uh, comrade in arms uh, asked about. Um, but he's happy with all of them, so he gave us nothing on that that front. 
but that's a big question. That's what's plagued them and why they've been seven and six the last two years. Is the one thing he did say is they meant that he said when we were three and five we were neg- uh, negative twelve in the turnover margin when we went four and one to end the year we were plus eight in the turnover margin. It's that simple. I guess where all that comes from. Yeah. The quarterback position. Decision making. Yeah. Decision making at the quarterback position. So uh, that's what they've got to overcome if they get that right in any solvable form. You're going to look at a Gary Patterson 10-win year. Oklahoma State, same thing. They've got they've got more to cover. They lost most of their front seven, or at least the impact players from their front seven. While they're fine in the secondary, they've got to make significant strides defensively to get back. And and Spencer Sanders, they weren't great defensively before, but Mason Rudolph would beat your socks off yeah. on offense. You know they're going to score 50 points. Right. You know, in the breakout sessions, I'm going to try to ask Coach Gundy if we get if I get the chance uh, about they're set up really well to pivot to the running game with Spencer Sanders as a very mobile quarterback, Chubba Hubbard as a – He's really good. I can't even say that. It sounds like Hubba Bubba. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubba Gump, we know what but, you mean. Yeah, Chubba, the fast dude. Um with Hubbard running the ball, their offensive line is mostly intact where they can make a really nice pivot and then go over the top on play action to Tylen Wallace. If they make that type of deal uh, or, or make that type of progress, both those teams can win that. The only the only thing that sets Baylor behind them is that Baylor's not as deep. I feel I, – I just have a hard time with Baylor. I hate <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I have a hard time – they just scream seven and five to me. I just, I I look at their roster on pay. I think Rule's a pretty good coach. I have a hard time though. Like, why is he trying to leave every year? There's still that whole culture there. Like, I just, I have a hard time putting them over than like a seven and five football team. Even though, like, you look at their schedule, you look at what they have on paper coming back. Really good quarterback. I don't know. I. Well, that's the one team I think in this league. If I if I look at all of them, what I'm doing right now, I don't feel like I have a feel on Baylor. They they have a very favorable schedule, so all the big boys have to come to Baylor to play. Um, that's Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa State. I think either TCU or Oklahoma State are, are at Baylor, so all their most difficult games are at home. So if they do get it rolling. That's going to help them, and they'll, they'll be all right. I'm not as sold on Brewer. Um, I think he's reckless, and I'm not – if they've trained that out of him, okay, but I think he's reckless and a hothead. I think we saw that getting kicked out of the game against Iowa State last year. Um, I also think that Jalen Hurd was such a huge – point of versatility for their offense and allowed them to play ball control to keep their defense from being exposed, but that really aided and jumped them ahead in their development curve. So from that standpoint, yeah, I'd definitely put Baylor as the least likely from a talent standpoint in play. Schedule may give them a boost that could pop them up above the three teams we were just talking about. So you've got I, I have Texas winning the league. Me too. You, you did too. Okay. Yeah. So I've got Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State. And then I think four through six is the most difficult to tab in the league. I ended up going TCU, Oklahoma State, Baylor in that order. Where would you be? 
if you had to put those three. If I had had to make a, a or you, maybe even want to you want to throw a Texas Tech in there. Like I, I don't know. I don't. Okay. But uh, you see, so you would put those three, four through six. Yeah, and I would be I would probably be Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor. Okay. So, so we're on the same spot yeah. with Baylor then. That's just it's still not a great home field advantage either. I know all the big boys have to go there. But it's, no. it's it's not what it was, though. When you don't play the style, like when the Bryles teams, it's like Hilton. Hilton's so much yeah. nastier when they're going up and down and playing fast. Right. And right? Fast break football. When, exactly when it's, you know, Tim Floyd's slow it down style, and I know the old timers are rolling their eyes at me. It was great back then. I understand yes. that, guys. Yes. <laughs> I understand that. But it... It allows you – it fuels crowds more. Yeah. Right? Especially and Baylor was Baylor was such a bear during those years because of the tempo, I thought. And now that they don't have that, it just – it's still fine. It's a nice stadium. I just – It is nice. It's stadium. not as tough as it used to be. No, it's not. Um, but it's comfortable know. for the kids. Yeah, I so, get it. Look, it's really about momentum with them. Yeah. They're, they're going to run through 3-0. And they're uh, and they get the clones, on, and then they get Iowa State, and then we'll see, because Iowa State's going to test whoever they play. There's one thing I know: I don't know if they'll win all those games. Yeah. I don't know if they'll win as many as we expect them to win. But whoever's going to beat them is going to earn it. Yeah, and won't, won't we'll beat see. themselves type of thing. Yeah, not not. I mean, look, last year they tried to beat themselves. They tried to beat themselves against Washington State. They ultimately lost, but only by two. You know, they tried to beat themselves against Kansas State, right? Had to come back because of three turnovers. Did beat themselves against Texas. They've, they've got some overcoming and some growing up to do, but uh, that's what's great about having a maturing team and returning so many guys is you have a chance to do that. Iowa State takes the stage tomorrow. Uh, I think Matt Campbell's the first coach to go tomorrow. And we will um, obviously have a ton of coverage from that. Jay's doing some football writing. I'm doing some other stuff. Uh, I One thing to – I think everybody th- – I had a really good talk with the CEO from the Alamo Bowl, Derek Fox, today, and he was raving about Iowa State fans. That was a fun conversation to have. But we'll have a lot more stuff like that. Um, on the podcast network later, I'm going to have Joel Klatt and Bruce Feldman from Fox. Uh, I'll talk college football with them. And then tomorrow, again, we'll have stuff with all the Iowa State players, Matt Campbell, all that stuff. We'll be posting videos. If you're watching us on Facebook or listening on the Podcast Network, doing a lot more on Instagram this year, trying to build that Cyclone Fanatic account up. Uh, we're up over like 6,000 followers now, but if you all could, if you don't follow us, you should, because we're going to start doing more and more content from that space. Um, and Jay's going to go and just... Um, harass all these big 12 coaches this afternoon so that he can get us some more information so i hope i hope you're enjoying your time i am it's great it's fun i'm a rookie uh feel young again so good good deal good um